I want to thank you guys for showing up this morning. For those of you who are locked in, we're going to jump into this word relatively quickly, but I would be remiss if I didn't take a minute bragging on your pastor. This has been a odd season. That's probably the kindest way that I can say that. And yet, I've had the distinct privilege for the last several months to walk through a pandemic. I, can I just be honest with y'all real quick? I didn't really know what that word meant until a couple months ago. Like, that's just the truth. I mean, I kind of knew, but like, did you know it would mean this? Every day, it seems like there's different ordinances and different laws and different, different things we have to kind of navigate. And I've seen a lot of people shudder underneath so much change. And yet, every time I sit next to Dr. Doug Witherup, I see the resolute spirit of God who's committed not just to navigate this season, but to see people find life, find family, find freedom, and find purpose. Today, I get an opportunity to share this pulpit, and I just wanted to take a moment to tell you, you are blessed with an incredible senior pastor. Could you make some noise for Dr. Doug Witherup? Yes. It's not just him, it's the team that he's developed, Pastor Steve, the leadership team, and I mean, all, all the way through, just walking through that office to see the vision that's being poured out in this season, it's an incredible blessing, and I don't want you to take that for granted. Like, isn't that what this whole weekend is about? Us not taking for granted the things that we absolutely take for granted almost every day of the year, Right? I don't know about you. I love this weekend. I love 4th of July. Any 4th of July fans in the house? Right. Right? Any 4th of July people watching online, I want you just in the comments. Again, throw a little firework emoji. I don't even know if that's an emoji, but find one and throw it. Look, there is nothing like celebrating freedom. It's something that's not just... Like me, I, like if you know anything about me, you just got to know this. Like any movie that at the core of it is about freedom, I'm all about you walk into my office right now, and there's a poster of William Wallace sitting, you know, with his sword in the air. I am a huge Braveheart fan. Anybody else? Any Braveheart fans in the house? Yeah, I, lo I love Braveheart. And, and, and one of my favorite scenes, you have Mel Gibson with his hair all kind of flowing in the wind. His face is painted half blue. He hasn't even started fighting yet, and yet his knuckles look bloody. I don't know why. But in this moment, as he's walking back and forth in front of this ragtag group of uh, this, these, these soldiers who are all trying to figure out whether they're going to stay or go, he delivers this incredible speech. Y'all have all heard this if you watch this movie. It's the best part of the movie. And at the end of the speech, he says this, when you're old and dying and in your bed, would you give it all up for one chance? One chance to come back here and tell your enemies that they may take your life, but they'll never take our awesome. Yes, there was a couple of y'all. There was a couple. I was a little nervous about this, this early service. Listen, I, I, I had you say it too because when I, whenever I say it, like I start screaming and my wife gets embarrassed. Here, here's the truth. There's something intrinsically in all of us that comes alive when we talk about freedom. 
There's something in us, this desire that's within us that comes alive when we, when we spend the moment even celebrating freedom. And, and, and what we're celebrating, of course, is on July 4th, 1776, as a country, as a young, ruddy, we didn't know what, was, what we were doing. As a young country, we made one declarative cry, and it says this, the United States Declaration of Independence, it it set this core idea into place. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creators with an uncertain, unalienable rights. That among these things are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we knew that that wasn't enough. That was just kind of the beginning of it all because freedom for freedom's sake didn't really make sense. It wasn't that we were just trying to all do our own thing. So we come back and in, 17, uh, in, in 1787, we signed the Constitution into place and, 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 and the preamble of the Constitution, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. The objective of the Constitution was to take this group of people and unite them under these collective of ideas. Our Declaration of Independence was this absolute cry, and yet our Constitution was the blueprint that we would see that lived out. But, but this week, as I was studying and preparing for this, knowing that this was Fourth of July weekend, I did so much studying that I completely, totally forgot to wear red, white, and blue. I, I just, just had missed it. Um, but as I studied through our founding father's paper, uh, papers and writings, what you hear echoed in every page, if you're careful enough, is the call to biblical truth. The call to biblical truth. So I thought it would be incredibly just... A good idea to spend some time this morning and, and talk a little bit about what Scripture says freedom should look like. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is that passage that many of you have, have maybe even memorized, and it simply reads like this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I just want to put a pause there for a moment because as Paul begins to write, he, 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 and I love the way that he kind of lays this out, he communicates at the beginning of this thing is like this truth that although freedom is available to all, not all live in freedom. Come on, somebody's going to catch this. You, you might spend your whole life living in freedom, surrounded by the free, waking up every day draped in red, white, and blue, tripping over four Bibles between your bed and the breakfast table, and still never experience true freedom. He understood this not just from, for, for our sake. He continues this. I, I love this. He says, stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, to, to let you kind of understand this, Paul was speaking to a young Galatian church that was trying to figure out what maturation in the faith looked like. The gospel was relatively new to the Galatians. And, and as their people are getting transformed and coming into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, they want to know what's next and how to live this life out. And unfortunately, there were some popular teachings at the time that were communicating that maturity in the faith was a return to religious laws. 
Circumcision became this thing that if you weren't circumcised, you weren't spiritually mature, if you weren't eating a certain diet or living a certain way, and it became extremely legalistic. And what Paul knew was that if there wasn't a true sense of freedom to be taught, if they weren't ingrained with an idea of what it really means to be free, that they would have a tendency to stray back to legalism. Can I tell you, thousands of years removed from this passage, and it's a truth that the church still struggles with, isn't it? Come on. You loved the idea of grace at the beginning, didn't you? We loved the idea that God reaches down to the broken and the downtrodden. While I was yet a sinner, while I was still broken, he reached out to me. And then somewhere along the lines, you read a book, sat down with some people, and slowly but surely, because of your time and effort, have started to develop a spiritual discipline. By the way, congratulations, that's great. We all need spiritual disciplines. The problem that Paul wants to make sure that you're clear to understand is the moment those spiritual disciplines begin to be wielded like a sword of separation, removing you from other people, is the moment those things come in between you and being able to truly live free. So Paul begins to define what true freedom looks like. I love this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Skip all the way down. I was laughing uh, uh, with Pastor Harrison earlier because 1 through 13 is chock full of so much truth. I had to skip down to 13 just to get into the bulk of this. Verse 13 says it like this. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Can I tell you, you have been freed to live a life of self-discipline. You have been free to live a life. True freedom is a life of self-discipline. Well, that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it, Pastor John? Like, doesn't self-discipline speak to the things that I can't do? And yet, for so many people, this is the reason why true freedom eludes them for, the remote, for most of their life. True freedom gives us the ability to break away from those things that keep us in bondage. Freedom is not an excuse to addiction. But hear me this morning. I believe that this passage clearly communicates that freedom can be a death sentence to your addiction. Move down with me to verse 24 real quick. It says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I love the way that Paul writes this because if, if, if you follow him, notice he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have nailed. I think for some reason... We have this tendency to believe that when it comes to our selfish desires that somehow somebody's going to magically one day rip those from our heart and nail them on some cross. But Paul makes it really clear that it's incumbent on us to make sure that daily we are considering our selfish desires and nailing them to the cross. That that's what it truly means to be free. True freedom doesn't excuse you to do what you want. It empowers you to be who he's designed you to be. You have been freed to live a life of self-discipline. So John, if my freedom doesn't serve my own desires, then who does it serve? I don't know if you asked that question, but if you did, brilliant question. Like That's a great question. Paul answers that in the next part of the verse. He says this, verse 13, part B. He says, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's what I need you to do. I need you to look at your neighbor right now. Look at your neighbor and say, okay, I thought we were coming and going to, like, enjoy fireworks and hot dogs, and this is going to hurt a little bit. 
just gonna tell your neighbor, it's gonna hurt a little bit. It's gonna hurt a little bit. Because for some reason, we have gotten it into our heads that our freedom is for our own personal advancement. And what we read here in this passage is that true freedom is created in order that we would love and serve others. I, I, I just, <laughs> verse 14, move down with me, verse 14. For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting, biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Can I just for a moment, nobody else needs another opinion. All, they're all out there. They're out there. If you want to find an opinion, you can find it. It's out there. It was never God's intention that the church would use its freedom to voice its opinion. Now look, before they know what you believe, what they're looking to know is whether or not you're willing to love them. The call of this passage is that God is saying those who are truly free, his children are called to first serve and love. That we would first serve and love. Well, John, does that mean I don't have an opinion? Look, we can talk back and forth about opinions. I can probably tell you biblically and theologically that you shouldn't be fighting for your own opinion anyways, that you should be trying to figure out what the opinion of God is through his word and that we would defend that opinion. But, but, but what I'm trying to tell you is at the heart of it, what you are responsible to do with your freedom is serve and love others first. This has become ugly. That's just the truth of it. I, you can blame a ton of things. But what seems to this happen, and I can't believe that we're talking about social media. It seems like almost every week. If you would have told me 10 years ago that we'll be talking about social media almost every other week collectively as, as a church across the world, it's just mind-blowing to me. But what's happened is that we, what we do on social media is now our digital reality has become our analog truth. Follow me. I don't like what they said last week. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe she said that. We unfollow. We see that person in the grocery store. And our behavior online, digital reality, dictates our analog reality. And we feel like because we've unfollowed them online, somehow we now have the right to not love and serve. You know, there used to be a day and age where when you wanted my opinion, you came over to my house, we developed relationship. We loved on each other. There was coffee. There was crackers. There was cheese. I love that part. We would have long conversation. And then at the point where I felt like I could trust you with what God was saying to me and what I was trying to develop and form, we could have open conversations. And my opinion was made known through relationship. Again, our digital reality has removed relationship. And now only thing that we are fed is opinion. And we're not taking the time and doing the work that's necessary. And we are losing sight of our God-given freedom to love and serve any at all. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your political opinion is. If the church becomes a place where I can't sit next to someone who disagrees with me and worship the same God, then it stops becoming the church. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Hear me. We are, we are free to love and serve. I've, I've learned this. The, this might be a tough statement to, to kind of swallow, but I, I've just learned the bride of Christ seems to be the only bride that enjoys beating itself up. 
listen to the words of Paul. He's really specific here. He says, look, but if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Because Paul knew that when the body of Christ starts attacking its hand, well, then the whole body is now handless. And when we start attacking our feet, well, then the whole body is footless. And we start attacking each other because we don't like the way we worship and we don't like the way that we follow and we don't like the way that we live. And ultimately, all these opinions bring division. And Paul knew it thousand years ago. The truth harps through today. We need to learn how to first love and serve. Love and serve. Paul goes a step further and he defines what freedom should produce. Verse 22, roll all the way down with me. I told you this passage is full of stuff. He says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Can I ask you a question? Does your freedom produce love? Does your freedom produce joy? Does your freedom produce peace and patience and kindness and goodness? Does your freedom produce faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Maybe a better way of asking this is, do your kids see love in you? Pastor John, you don't understand. I come from a loveless home. I don't know what love is because I didn't see love. And look, I don't know what your background is. I'm not trying to belittle your history. But what I know is that Christ calls you a child of the most high God who defines himself by love. You are not a prisoner to yesterday. You have been made free to love. Yeah, ask this question. Do your coworkers see patience in you? Do your coworkers, do your, do your bosses, do those who work for you, do they see gentleness in you? Oh, Pastor John, you don't understand. My disposition is one that I'm a little hot-tempered. I run a little hot. Listen, listen, I, I, I get it. You don't have to be imprisoned by your self-described kind of psych, psychological makeup. You serve a God who stitched the ability to be peace, to be joy, to be love to those around you. He stitched that into you until they lay you a form. You are free to produce good fruit. You are free to produce good fruit. The problem for so many people, the problem for so many people is that we often struggle because we forget the how to our freedom. Can I tell you that you are free to remember who freed you? You are free to remember who freed you. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, we're going to start right back at the beginning. Simply resist. It it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The writer in Galatians, listen, those of you that are watching in Davidson, listen, the, the writer in Galatians wants you to know that your freedom is a product of the love and grace of Jesus. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Listen to the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. He says this. I tell you the truth, anyone who sins is a slave of sin. Just for a moment, any sinners in the house? Anybody sin? Yeah, if you're watching online, I want you to be a part of this. Just throw a a hand up emoji or just write, me, I sinned. Just go ahead and put it in the comment section. 
read this passage. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin, meaning that everyone breathing is in bondage to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. And then he goes a step further here. He says this. So if the son, capital S, so if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Notice that the picture that's painted is that you have an opportunity to move from slave to sonship because if the capital S son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Jesus lays claim to your ability to bring freedom to any and all. And I need you just to know that this is the only way by which people can live truly free. I'm helping so many people out right now. You have no idea. You have no idea. Because in, just because of the nuance and nature of our country, because we were formed with this, this idea, this desire for freedom, because freedom is what is on every, you know, every one of our plaques and on every one of our flags at the moment you see. And what's great about America? Freedom. Like freedom. Freedom is kind of shoved down our throats since we were little kids. And anybody who, who comes against our freedom, like instantly we rise up. Why? Because, again, naturally, there's this call for freedom. And unfortunately, if you don't understand this truth, you're going to struggle for the rest of your life. Because some of you are looking for freedom in relationship. Can I just tell you? You're not going to find a guy who's good enough to bring true freedom. Some of you are looking for freedom in economic advancement. Can I just tell you? All the money in the world can't bring true freedom. It's not a new house, it's not a new car, it's not a new position in life, it's not a new wife. Because I've known people who've tried five or six times, like it's not a new wife, it's not a new relationship. Only Jesus. And you have put some unnatural weights and pressures on some things like relationships, like I feel bad for your spouse. Because you have placed the weight of your freedom on their shoulders. And I'm just going to tell you, she might be a great wife, but she's not a good God put the weight of your freedom on economics and it has failed you. You put the weight of your freedom on new houses and again, new jobs and new careers and when it doesn't work well, I'm just going to move in new locations and new cities and none of this can hold the weight of your freedom. It's only Jesus. It's Jesus and only Jesus. It's Jesus and only Jesus that brings true freedom. Romans says it like this in 5 or 6 through 8. When we were utterly helpless, love this passage. This is one of my life verses. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would be not willing to die uh, for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Look, I'm proud of you. You have started this walk with the Lord. I don't care if you just saved or you've been saved your whole life. You've sat through the classes. You've developed this life of discipline. You've read your word. You've sat through prayer. You've opened your heart and life to accountability. You have grown in the faith. But can I just remind you that you would always be reminded you were purchased before you were polished. Before you were as good looking as you are this morning, and man, you're good looking. 
I don't even, I can't even really see you online. I just believe that you're good looking this morning. You got it all together. You did your contours even, even though you weren't leaving the house, right? Like you were good looking this morning. You have polished up not only the outside, but the inside is glowing with love and grace and peace. I love that about you. Like you're reading this, you're amen in me because this is stuff you worked on and have navigated. But I just, we can't confuse our progress with his redemption. Before you were polished, he purchased you. There's a painter in San Francisco um, who was doing what my dad and siblings do most Saturdays. He was garage sale hopping. Any garage sale hoppers in the house? Yeah, yeah, garage sale hoppers, yeah. Throw up some emojis if you're a garage sale hopper, right? Like, I am not a garage sale guy, and this is why. I don't like bargaining. That's just the truth. I know you're looking at me like, some of you are like, oh, see, you just like wasting money. No, I just have a hard time trying to convince somebody that the value they ascribe to a thing should be different and usually lower. I feel like it's anti-gospel. Like, I'm like, like oh, this is my grandma's heirloom. Yeah, can, can I have it for $2? Right? Like, that just bothers me. Some of y'all are like, no, you don't understand it. That's the fight. That's the, that's the challenge. I want to come home with all this stuff that other people really valued and just feel good about devaluing everybody. Like, like some of you, that's, the, that's the, the, the garage sale pulling you. I just can't do it. I don't know how. Um, I have some family members that are great, and they always buy me great stuff. So what I do now is I'm like, hey, Dad, I need a chainsaw. He's like, I'll take care of it for you, son. So my dad devalues people, not me. Um, not people, but the, you know what I'm saying. So this painter decides that he is going to um, he is going to buy a bunch of garage sale stuff, and he sees a box of 65 different glass negatives. He was in love with the image, landscapes, and they were black and white. And if you remember cameras back in the day. Um, you, you took a picture, you got a negative <laughs> for all the kids in the room. A negative is what actually cameras used to capture the picture once the lens was open. It wasn't it was before computers. Anyway, um, back in the early days, they would transfer those negatives onto pieces of glass that kind of looked like this. And the objective was to keep that print along, alive longer. It's a great, it's a great, uh, you can pull these things out of a box. They're like two by two squares. You can kind of like pull them out and see. So he sees 65 of these things sitting in a box and had a price tag of $70 on it. But that's not enough because, you know, he was all about the bargain. So he's able to convince the guy down significantly. And he brings home this box of 65 different prints for only about 45 bucks. And he did what most of y'all do with garage sale stuff. Packed it away. Right? Like, that's the moment. Hey, I got this great deal at a garage sale. When are you going to use it? I don't know. It's underneath the pool table. He put it underneath the pool table for four years. Sitting around one day, he just remembered, man, I really like those prints. He pulled them out. He starts doing some research. And what he finds is that potentially those 65 glass negatives belong to a photographer named Ansel Adams and were estimated somewhere around $200 million. That's like a Dr. Evil number, $200 million. 45 bucks, 
$200 million. And you're looking at me like, John, that's, that's a crazy story, but it gets even crazier because there's a group of experts now saying that this is 100% Angel Adams and another group of experts, including his family, saying, no, they're absolute fakes. His family saying, oh, my dad, there's no way he would have, and I love this, there's no way he would have just forgotten that he had negatives somewhere. And then a whole other group that's like, no, the composition, the lighting, the use of these things, his name seems to be scribed on stuff, although it's not necessarily 100%. So you have one group of artists saying, listen, no, this is worth $200 million. Another group saying they're worth $45. It's the same negatives, the same pictures taken with the same kind of camera. It's on the same type of glass. None of those things matter. The value of the negative is, hear me. The value of the negative is solely based on whose hands were on the camera. $200 million or $45. The value of the negative solely based on whose hand is on the camera. John, why are you getting so excited? Back again. Back to our declaration of independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created created, not only equal, but that they're endowed by their creator. Listen, even our, our declaration of independence ascribes value based on authorship. It reads, again, back to Galatians 5.1, it is for Christ that you have been set free. Both of these things speak to a truth. We know whose hand was on the camera who formed us. Can I just for a moment... This is why racism screams against the fullness of the gospel. Because when you devalue humanity, you are not only devaluing people, you are devaluing the person whose hand was on the camera. If we are truly going to live in the spiritual freedom that God has called us to, we have to understand that our value is set first and foremost by the hands of the creator, we know who's formed us. We know who's formed everyone around us. And for me, I figured out that my freshman year of high school, surrounded my whole life by freedom. I was born in this amazing country. I'm Puerto Rican by birthright, which by the way makes me American because Puerto Rico's a part of America. And, um, but I was born in Massachusetts. I don't even know Spanish. I know that's a shame. That's sad. But I'm American as they come. I had every right to pursue true freedom, and I didn't. I was born in a church. That idea, tripping over three Bibles, that wasn't, that wasn't like a, a, a made-up thing. I tripped on three Bibles almost every day on my way to the kitchen table. There was my mom's Bible, my dad's Bible, my dad's backup Bible, my sister's Bible when she was loving Jesus, my brother Ray's Bible when he was loved. Like, I, like everybody's Bible, like there was surround, surrounded me my whole life. It's not like I had to be introduced to church. I, my fondest memories was seven and eight years old, waking up early with my dad, going to our church in New England, turning on the kerosene heaters in order that the house of God would be warm by the time people came in out of the cold snow. Surrounded by freedom my whole life. And yet for me, I found freedom at Ely High School when I was a freshman. I, it was a public school where I gave my life to Jesus. 
Listen, I believe that God has sent me to this moment on this stage that he has turned your internet device on and logged it on to this service for this one reason. There are people that you've been surrounded your whole life with freedom. You were shooting off fireworks last night and eating hot dogs. Matter of fact, you might have just rolled in 10 minutes ago because you just woke up. Hear me. You can be surrounded by freedom, draped in the red, white, and blue, and tripping over Bibles and still not know the true freedom that Jesus offers that you would be made wide awake and fully alive to the love and promises of our Lord and Savior. I would love to pray with you, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads. But if you're saying, Pastor John, I need to know that freedom. I need to know that freedom. Maybe you've been waiting because in your head you thought you had to be polished before you were purchased and what you're hearing now is a truth of a gospel that says no no he's willing to purchase you right now that the price has already been paid it's just a matter of you accepting the payment and penalty in order that you would be made free so again whether you're in the room or whether you're watching in your room online I just want you to take a hand and put it on your heart as a sign between you and the father he's saying this independence day weekend I want to proclaim my freedom from sin I want to step into a right relationship with Jesus. Father, for every hand on every heart, for every person that's navigating this, walking through this, Father, that Lord, again, surrounded by freedom but not living free, I pray that as they accept you as Lord and Savior, that you would step in fully, take your rightful place, God, and they would come wide awake to your love and fully alive to your promises, and we'll give you the glory and the honor for it. Amen. And amen. Now listen, church. It's one thing to have an independence cry. It's another thing to do the work that's necessary to truly live free. And I want to pray for you in a moment, but I want us to commit to what it really means to be free. That again, we would first and foremost commit to freedom to live a life of self-discipline to do the work that's necessary to break the chains of addiction and selfish desires that we would commit to live free that we would commit to live free to serve others in love that we would be free to produce good fruit that ultimately we would live the type of life that not only reminded us but reminds others in everything we do Listen, we are so concerned with whether or not people are wearing masks. Listen, I, I just, yes, do what you feel like you need to do, but, but hear me. So many more people need to hear about the freedom that Jesus purchased on their behalf. Could we be the church that commits to the fullness of the gospel, that loves every and any because we know who formed them? I'd like to pray with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes once again? Father, for every person who's watching online, whether they're watching from Davidson, whether they're watching in Concord, whether they're watching at the beach, watching in the mountains, whether they're in this room, God, for those who watch later on in their own rooms. Lord, it is the commitment of this church that we would be about your business, that we would be about the business of 
communicating freedom to others and it requires us to live truly free. Inspire us by your spirit. Equip us and enable us by that same spirit, I pray, Father, to live lives that are truly free and we'll give you the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church.